0: What is your definition of the word intentional?
1: Mm. Well, I didn't know you'd ask me this, so I'm going to shoot from the hip here. When I think of the word intentional, I also think of when you do things with a sense of purpose toward a specific outcome, right? So for me, I was asked a couple of years ago, what does success mean to you? And I think it's kind of the same answer, which is living a life without regrets.
2: Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast. The show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies.
0: Thanks for coming back and tuning in. This is episode 273 of the Intentional Growth Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about marketing. And how to eliminate random acts of marketing and all of the frustration that people have from spending money in places that don't yield returns or just being confused of whether you should be running online ads or whether you should be doing Facebook, social media, uh, paid ad advertising or direct mailing or cold calling, all these things that ultimately are just trying to help you pave a way to have a communication and build trust with your clients And I think a lot of people get so paralyzed with what is the right strategy? What is the right client acquisition cost? And then who can help you stitch together a strategy that ties to your revenue goals, your margin goals, and then growing enterprise value? And then how many times people have jump down with an agency and then they're just it's almost like one arrow or one tool that people are jamming down your throat whether it's SEO or paid ads or you know content marketing or sales and I think this this frustration and this anxiety builds up with a lot of entrepreneurs because we don't know exactly where to place our bets in order to continue to progress our company and our strategic goals so when I had met Jennifer Zick who's going to be on the show today she is the founder of Authentic Brand which is a fractional CMO Firm out of the Twin Cities, and I saw her post on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, someone's actually out there wrapping together the strategy from sales and marketing and the business, and then managing the resources and the strategies behind the scenes." So today's show is going to be super valuable for anybody that wants to eliminate random acts of marketing, better understand how sales and marketing interact, how to like really start to think about where you and your brand and your clients intersect and how to reach them at the right time, and then how you should be placing your bets in the right strategies. It's a fantastic conversation because Jennifer came from bigger companies where they were managing the marketing in a more unified way. And five years ago, she split off to create this company and she's truly changing how marketing is being delivered to mid-market companies, very similar to what Arcona is doing, what we're doing on the fractional CFO basis. And so when I saw her and her business model, I was like, Oh my gosh, someone's actually going in there. And instead of selling a specific service, they're selling the, the CMO leadership skill set that helps wrap together the strategy and align it with your bigger company goals. So that way you're placing the right bets and spending your time, money, and energy in the places that actually make a difference and progress you towards your goals. So If you want to know more about how to eliminate the hocus-pocus that a lot of people think that marketing is and how to tie your big plan to the marketing strategies that you are looking for, I would really suggest tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Jennifer Zick.
2: Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Jennifer, how are you?
1: Ryan, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. So we had to actually just like stop ourselves from yapping and then then hit record because everybody else should listen to what we're talking about. I am uh, extremely pumped to dive into this uh, conversation for the next hour. And I'll just set some context because I was out, you know, not only for our clients and for like our Kona and just me being involved in the sales and marketing space for just most of my life. At this whole world of marketing is pixie dust and rainbows and unicorns. And I'm not just saying that because of my nah, my little little girls, but I came across you, you and I had, I had a conversation and it was like, oh my God, someone that actually has a breath of fresh air. So hopefully I didn't tee up too much, but uh, let's, let's get the listeners a little bit of your background and how you got to what you're doing, what you're doing. And then we've got uh, plenty to talk about. I know that
1: awesome thanks ryan it's been so fun to get to know you and have these conversations with you and i'm just delighted to be here today to deep dive on some of the themes we've already been dancing around Um, but to introduce myself um, i'm jennifer zick i'm the founder and ceo of authentic brand we're a national community of fractional cmos who help growing businesses to overcome random acts of marketing and confidently take the next right step in their growth. Um, This company I founded just almost five years ago, and I built it based on a couple of... Challenges I saw in the world that I was eager to start solving. Um, One of those challenges was that I myself had been head of sales and then head of sales and marketing and head of marketing for fast-growing entrepreneurial business through a lot of different stages of growth. And then I moved on and worked in large enterprise and mid-market businesses. And along the way, I started to see some patterns and I learned about myself. I learned that I was really passionate about earlier stage growth companies. Um, for me, that means about $5 million to $100 million in revenue in that formative growth stage when companies have, have found their footing with a product or service that they know can sell into the market and now they're ready to scale. That is just so fun for me. But what I knew from being inside of that kind of a company is that they often don't have access to executive marketing leadership and people who've been there done that at scale before. And so they spend a lot of time guessing at how to put marketing together. And I thought five years ago, wouldn't it be great if small businesses had access to marketing executive leadership sooner than they would usually hire for that role? So that was one challenge I was super stoked about. And the other was that I knew my marketing peers, many of whom, like myself, had had great success in leading great brands, but we're ready to leave corporate politics and red tape behind and do meaningful work for small business, right? And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could bring all these wonderful, brilliant marketers together in a community where they lay their armor down at the door, they get vulnerable, they are generously sharing with one another, and together all of their shared marketing experiences could help propel all of our small business clients. So that is the basis for Authentic Brand. And today, our fractional CMO, um, services continue to grow with clients across all different business models and all different industries all across the U.S. So it's been an incredibly fun ride.
0: I am really like we're there's so much to pull apart in this. I'm so excited because uh, I'll just like like we talked about prior to, to hit and record is that, you know, my experience from running our family business, you know, traditional sales model with 20 salespeople and then getting into the uh, the the consulting space and then after uh creating arcona it like dove way too far into the digital marketing space like I joke around I like I took everybody's online course about facebook ads or paid ads or website building or like social media this or that and like the the challenges that I see and, and i personally experienced is that you have like these massive silos and you have these owners that like want to accomplish a certain thing, like grow my business the right way with the right customers the right profit margins. But then the marketing, it's like pixie dust. I literally had a customer say pixie dust and you know this hocus pocus marketing because like not tracked or you go and engage it with someone, it's a SEO expert or a social media expert or something, but there's like no comprehensive plan. And after like, you know, even being on our own journey trying to find some of these resources for ourselves and our clients came across you is like interesting. And I and I want to pull apart this the skill set of these executives that you talk about and like where you're getting them and how is that different than like the typical marketing professionals that are out there that a lot of these business owners actually are running into
1: yeah well we find our cmos in the pixie dust magic <laughs> universe <laughs> they're hard the, to come by they're no. the fairies.
0: they're the fairies <laughs> and the wizards <laughs> the right perfect the <laughs>
1: <and the magic. laughs> whatever that voodoo magic marketing land is that's where we find no For real, though, all of our CMOs share some common characteristics and very diverse backgrounds. So I'll answer that question for you first. And then, Ryan, I'd like to speak into some of what you were starting to dig into in your experience, having been a business owner and then a consultant and building your brand. Um, So all of our CMOs are entrepreneurial CMOs who have decades of experience working in-house with companies, building high-performing marketing teams and programs and scaling those teams' programs to build brand and revenue and growth. That's the common denominator. They come from all industries, and they've worked in B2B, B2C, e-commerce, distributor, all of the different business models, but they all have entrepreneurial spirits as marketers. They are all passionate mentors and builders of teams. Um, None of them have come from only the ivory tower elite enterprise marketing world where they have billions of dollars Mm -hmm. in resources and hundreds of team members. Our CMOs are a lot closer to ground level, if you will. Some mm-hmm. of them have worked in large enterprise, and all of them have worked in small and mid market businesses and been successful. And they can take all of those shared experiences um, to bear in solving our clients' challenges. And, so when and, you, work- uh, Jennifer,
0: I was just going to say, let me let me interject there too, because like you name you 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 touched on something that I thought was interesting. Is there's the ivory tower, and I and actually I've talked to people like, oh, we ran Best Buy's marketing. It's like, well, who cares? Like the, the, your budget's <laughs> bigger than the revenue of most of these clients. And then the alternative is these ninjas or freelancers of you know very unique yeah. skill sets. So are you, are you talking that you're, you're somehow finding people in the middle there that understand the big picture, but can actually understand the technical details too?
1: Yeah, well, many of our CMOs have led enterprise and global initiatives for sure, but they've all led in small and mid-sized business and they know what it takes to be at ground level and build from there as good stewards of those resources, right, because there's not established brand and market share already that provides like this assumed brand air cover. (laughs) You've got to build it. You've got to build it. So that is what we have in common in our DNA. Um, But I want to speak to how our model solves for the the challenges that you were just describing because they're very real. And I felt them too as a sales and marketing leader. Um, And not to date myself and age myself too, too heavily, but when I first it's wisdom entered my wisdom experience, and I, Jennifer. <laughs> here's the wisdom. Here's where the silver hairs come from. When I first entered my career more than twenty years ago in sales and marketing roles, the marketing tool set was pretty um, traditional still. There was paid advertising, print, public relations, right? There were all the different advertising channels that existed at that time. There was cold calling. There were Mm -hmm. uh, trade associations, event sponsorships. That was a pretty typical traditional marketing package. Fast forward only only 20 years, which in internet time (laughs) is 48 million lifetimes, but truly only a couple of decades worth of time has gone by. And the marketer's toolkit is now Thousands of tactics, hundreds of channels, thousands of technologies—the the amplification and the um, the diversification and the complication of the marketing ecosystem has just blown up, right? So, how on earth could a founder of a business know how to put all of that together? And not even a single marketer has the answer for that. Right? And what has happened during this transformation timeline is. Where larger businesses used to be able to rely on an agency of record that bundled together all the traditional components, that just is broken. It doesn't work very well anymore for large enterprises, and it never worked for small business. Small businesses used to be able to tap into some of those traditional channels, but now they need to tap into the wisdom of how to navigate a really complex landscape because they still need to build the right mix for their unique business. So our model helps to provide that centralization To bring the wisdom in-house as a fractional CMO, we work part-time with full accountability for that marketing leadership role. We sit at the client table, not outside the organization. So we're not representing our toolkit of what we'd like to sell to you, whether it's a, you know, tactical Mm -hmm. or, you know, a technology. You're not making
0: your profits on products. Right? No, or, uh, no. Yeah. Or
1: any particular kind of service. Um, but we sit on the inside with our clients and help them navigate the landscape of opportunity for where to focus their resources and their strategy and then navigate the landscape of services and technologies that will help to power that. And we centralize that, you know, as good stewards of their resources. So um, we really become their partner in arms. And and I want to give a shout out to all the hardworking, brilliant agencies that are very important. They're more important than ever, like that SEO maven you talked about, that content mm-hmm. strategist, that digital expert. Those skill sets are incredibly important. And it's important for small businesses to find the right set of skills for to solve their specific issue. It's really right. hard for business owners or sales leaders to know the difference between a search engine optimization and a search engine marketing expert. They sound the same, and they're not.
0: <laughs> All right, right, and 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 and, I, and we're going to dive into some of this. And you, you've you've trademarked the random acts of marketing. We can get into that. And I, but before we do that, just some context, Jennifer. What I love about when I when I was talking to you and like kind of just the the philosophical problem that I've had with the marketing uh, world is that. Like growing up in sales, like the whole goal is to build a relationship so your customer trusts and buys from you, period. And I think so many people lost sight of all this stuff to automate everything. And then like, you're going to do this like insane funnel to like automatically get customers. And I probably have 250 LinkedIn messages right now that promise that. But like the reality is, is like, what is the client acquisition cost that's going to be needed to generate the sales that you need? that you can then have the profits that you need to go to normalize EBITDA with the valuation that you want. And most people have forgotten about the customer journey. Yes. And like, I think about sales, Jennifer, like you start with a cold call, then you do coffee, then you do a lunch, then you go on a golf tournament, then you send them a card, then you send them Christmas presents. And like, it's a building a relationship That's right. and there's just different tools. And like, I think where people get lost is they just got sold that like this one tool is a like the solution to all the whole customer journey. And it's just, so wrong and it's paralyzing when you think about, like you said, like, what is there? A million probably SaaS tools that all fit somewhere in that customer journey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, It's, I've written extensively about these kinds of topics on our website and on our blog over the years, because there absolutely is a lot of snake oil and and <laughs> pixie dust being sprinkled out in the market <laughs> with technologies and tactics being promoted as some kind of silver bullet solution to building your business and your brand and they're simply not there's a couple key truths that business leaders need to keep in mind first of all you cannot outsource your brand you know brand is bigger than a logo and a color palette it's bigger than demand gen it's bigger than creating leads brand is the experience that every single stakeholder has with every single touch to your business so it matters your brand is part of your uh prospective employee experience it's part mm-hmm. of your customer experience it's part of your investor's experience with your company right brand covers all of that so there are very powerful tools and tactics that can support and lift your brand. Um, but like what one of my um, prior coworkers used to say, if you just turn on all of this brand, all of this architecture and automation and the architecture. tools and Yeah. <laughs> I
0: love <Marketing> that
1: word. <laughs> is one of my favorite words. I, I feel like I invented that word. I probably didn't. Yeah, I'll give it to you. you. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll <laughs> trademark that one too. Um, but you can turn on all this stuff But if your brand's not strong and your message is not strong, you're just going to make your message suck faster to more people. And do you know what that does? That erodes your brand. That Mm -hmm. erodes trust. It erodes the experience. So I'm 100% with you. And and it doesn't hurt that I started off in sales before I ever became a marketer. And now I'm back to sales again. Whether you're B2B or you're B2C, you're human to human in Mm -hmm. how your brand is experienced. And so too many companies have lost track of that and they've tried to automate and process and, and just throw ad dollars at and outsource marketing activation. Mm-hmm. You cannot outsource your brand. You have to own it, shepherd it and integrate everything that does that goes behind it to power it.
0: So then it, it totally tracking it, And I love it. And so I, you gave one key truth. I don't want to interrupt you if you got a couple more, if there's um, but like one of my questions on that is, you know, people lost sight of this, the, the common sense of what does it take? Like how many touch points, if you're selling sunglasses on Amazon, it's going to be an Instagram ad and you click to buy. And then there's like, versus like what I do, it's the podcast and the speaking and same thing with you. And it's way different. And so
2: yes.
0: how do you figure out like, what is, what is being done and what should be done? And yeah. then the other, the, the other question that is like, how much are you going to spend to do that? And mm-hmm. Because the, the like I said, common sense. Like I'm not on Snapchat or TikTok. Business owners nope. aren't just prowling <laughs> Snapchat uh, to, to 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 find us. I mean, it's just nope. ridiculous. And so, like it that the what's refreshing about that, the fact that I know that is that I can ignore it. Yes. And So I don't know if there's a question in there. Or more no, just like a lot of
1: questions in there. Let me start unpacking some of that. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry about that. Okay, we talked about how much marketing has changed and gotten more complicated and diverse, but Let me bring it back to the other side of that coin. Marketing is the same as it's ever been, which is answering a few simple but really foundational questions for building your business, which is, what is our business's purpose? What is our big why? Why do we exist in the world, and how do we change lives? Like, literally, if you don't know how you change lives, I don't know what you're doing in business. Mm -hmm. So answering that question first, your big why, your purpose, however you want to get to that, and then you start answering the questions then, okay, if this is our purpose, this is our life-changing mission, then who needs to matter to us, and how do we matter to them, right? Once you know that with clarity, and let me give you a clue, it's not everybody, It's not everybody, even if you could deliver something, even if everybody should own those sunglasses you talked about, your market is not everybody. you got to drill down deep. And once you know who should matter to you and why you should matter to them, then you have to ask, to your point, then where do we intersect their world, Mm -hmm. right? In your business and in mine, we sell B2B. Those buyers... Even if they have a TikTok account, they don't want to see <laughs> us on it. I mean, you probably have good dance moves, though, Ryan. I'm going to
0: get maybe my girls, but not not yeah. this guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, who matters to us? Why should we matter to them? How do we intersect their universe? And then, this is key. Not the next question is not then how do we sell them what we sell? It's how do we help them? How do we solve their problems? How do we become trusted to them? How do we give them value? Mm-hmm. there and then you commit to the giving process. And when you're selling B2B, that's a long-term commitment. You're going to court this universe of, of would-be buyers for a really long time. And so, you know, I have conversations every day. Our, our buyers are companies 5 to 100 million in revenue. We sell to the CEO founders. These companies have been founder-led, sales-driven. They've been built on the reputation and their immediate frame of networked relationships and then word of mouth referrals. Right. So they're accustomed to highly qualified referred opportunities that are ready for whatever they sell. That's what their <laughs> universe has been. Right.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Um, be, just, they just, want, just turn that on, turn the, turn right. the spigot on and create more of that.
1: <laughs> right. So now they want to scale. So, scaling means, okay, we're going to move beyond the universe of people who already know us and are ready for us, and we're going to start to draw in the people who should know us, who we want to be ready for us in the future. That means casting a net. I'm going to use, I'm going to mix my metaphors here. I do it all day long. Means throwing seeds out into specific, you know, planting seeds in specific places, knowing it's going to take a while for them to grow and to produce a harvest. So, you asked, well, then how much should we spend and how long should it take? Big fat, it depends. That's what Mm -hmm. your CMO will help you navigate as it relates to realistic resourcing for your specific business and how you find and intersect your audience's world. Big, big ranges there. But, you know my job is to set expectations with our buyers. It's not, there's no such thing as a light switch or a faucet that turns on highly qualified, ready to buy leads in 90 days. Like I said, I
0: don't know, there's 250 LinkedIn in messages that very, very much disagree with you. I'm just kidding.
1: Well, if you find one of them has that magic uh, light switch or, uh, you know, Uh, formula, you let me know. I've been searching Uh, for it. It's like the fountain of youth. Um, But there's just that, that does not exist. So if you're serious about scaling in, into to worlds of buyers that don't know you yet or aren't yet ready, but should be someday for what you do, and you want to get your brand in front of them as a trusted resource so that they are thinking of you when they are buyer ready, that takes time. And in a B2B world, I'm talking about two, three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even in our five-year-old business, we've been planting seeds from day one, um, in terms of creating content that I knew would take three years to produce organic leads. And sure enough, three years later, we started seeing those organic leads. Mm-hmm. We're now building community strategies to build deep high trust relationships that I know are going to be 18 to 24 months before opportunities start to surface. And we're right on track.
0: So. It's it's, super helpful. Super yeah. helpful. And, that, and that's the, the ra- like, is that the random act? maybe talk to it or we just covered on the random acts of marketing and. I don't know if we covered that and that's just your way of kind of packaging up what we're discussing right now or if there's yeah, other examples. well,
1: I can elaborate on it. That phrase came out of um, couple the first couple of years of building authentic brand and meeting with CEOs and founders and hearing their pains. One day, I just naturally said that to somebody like, you know, it feels like you're committing random acts of marketing and the CEO's eyes and the CFO's eyes both got huge. They looked at each other. They nervously laughed. And I knew I struck a chord. Mm -hmm. And so I started using that phrase in sales meetings, and the same thing happened every single time. And companies know. They know when they're committing random acts of marketing because what it feels like is that marketing is nebulous. It's a money pit. It's a black hole. It's foggy. It's squishy. Um, We don't know what we should even measure for ROI. We don't even know what metrics matter. We don't know if we've hired the right people. We don't know if we're funding it correctly. We just don't know, right?
0: So yeah, and everybody's probably going, "Uh huh, Jennifer." <laughs> like yeah. that's listening. And that's you know?
1: painful. And it's painful. And it's true that marketing requires placing your bets, right? Mm-hmm. Marketing requires experimentation because there is no such thing as a one and done marketing strategy. You don't write a strategy, put it in a binder, and then execute it for twelve months flawlessly, seeing seeing you know growth all along every step of the journey. Your marketing strategy is only real when it's making contact with the market when it makes contact with the market is where you learn what works what doesn't work, and then you can you know move from there and,
0: and intentionally move in the right direction and, and I it. think the so there's two questions that have not only myself but the listeners are probably thinking is one is my business may be different, and you and I both know that you know everybody's unique to a certain degree, but there's a lot of common themes both regardless of um the, the business. But so how do you take a company and then assess this? And then how do you actually determine the customer journey, the types of touch points, like where you should be, yeah. how to do, do that? And then how do you track it? Because like the way to eliminate that ambiguity is by data. And so like, right. h- yeah. how do you, how do you take that squishiness and make it real?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, data is part of it. Okay. It's not the whole Um, So the way that we do that is we've taken all the wisdom of our combined CMO mindshare community, and we've developed a proven methodology that we call authentic growth, authentic growth methodology. And it is not a one-size-fits-all formulaic approach of do steps A, B, C through Z, and you will see positive outcomes and ROI within X amount of days at X percent evaluation increase for your business. It's not that. What it is, is a simple set of tools, frameworks, and meeting cadences that help teams build alignment, accountability, and activate according to their plan and iterate with agility along the way, right? So it is, um, it's not rocket science. It's not... It's simple, but it is not easy. Mm -hmm. So with our methodology and our CMO leadership, we teach developing marketing teams how to build rigor, how to demystify marketing, how to align with executive leadership and the vision for the business, and then demonstrate the how and why things are being activated, to what end, Mm -hmm. and to what insight to inform how the company is going to resource that in the future. So it becomes a, a platform, if you will, for insightful conversation to wisely shepherd your marketing resources and to plan ahead
0: Well, and i think what's super interesting um before getting in touch with you is that you know there's like you, you go to the traditional pr person or like you know any of those specific siloed marketing resources or and like indirectly when i should not not indirectly unconsciously, the leader is choosing to be that CMO, regardless of whether like how they're doing and going about trying to find those components versus having someone that understand how the machine, the, how the mousetraps built and then how, what should be done next. So like, how do you, how do you take, like, if it was me and I've got the $4 million company and I'm saying, okay, I would like to scale. Like, what is the, like, what is the process to do that? And how do you take someone's how do you take someone from where they are now and where they wanna go? And what are like the common things that you see that are working? And I don't know if there's yeah. <laughs> again, I'm doing yeah. it to you. <laughs> again, well, just like lots of questions. I'm,
1: I'm following where your question is leading, I believe. So I'll start by saying um, we work primarily with businesses 5 million and up. And when they're working with authentic brand, we're a fractional marketing leader, like I said, part time in the seat with full accountability. What we're not, I'll just preface, we're not a low-cost alternative to making a full-time marketing hire. We are a low-risk, faster-to-impact. And that is because of the wisdom of our leaders, our mindshare community, and our methodology, right? All of that combined. Um, But how we help clients move the needle. First of all, we don't presume anything, what we don't do is come in with a strategy before you've even hired us that presumes to know all the right answers with the right tactical ingredients and a budget tagged on it. That's what an agency would do for a specific mm-hmm. project scope. We're not an agency. We're an executive leader, just like hiring a full-time CMO. But what we what we do differently is instead of, onboarding like a traditional employee and spending the time to fully onboard and kind of get under the helm. We've developed a methodology that lets us onboard effectively and really quickly and in a more tangible way with our clients so we can quickly be both at the helm and under the hood, right? We're going to step in as a leader taking charge of whatever exists today for marketing, activity, staff, agency relationships. We're going to assess and integrate. We have tools that we use up front for a simple assessment, a deeper audit to quickly get to a marketing action plan that becomes the core component of the marketing annual roadmap. So that is all happening up front. Mm -hmm. And then we're digging under the hood. We're looking at data and analytics. We're looking at the quality of your systems and your Marcom infrastructure. We're looking at your assets, your artifacts, any research you have, right? We're really taking a look at your universe in order to inform The strategy going forward. So what does that feel like? The impact of a fractional CMO on the front end is going to be recommendations for where we can manage expenses where they're not delivering results. How can we make team members more effective by clarifying their roles and their greatest contributions from their seat? How do we integrate agency services so that everybody knows how they're mm-hmm. impacting the strategy and where the how the dots connect. Mm-hmm. And then how do we help you plan forward so you can confidently know, okay, here's where we sit today with our resources and what's active. Where do we need to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months in terms of staffing or other resources or budget to keep us moving in the right direction?
0: I love it. And, and it just, it, it's, it's organization behind it. Like, let's get into some, some stories and examples of like, how do you, how, when you're taking someone that has either neglected the marketing department or sales and marketing are like wildly separate divisions, not talking and, or they either, they have no budget or like an ineffective budget. What are people doing these days that is actually working and like how right. Like, like how are they going about and effectively scaling their brand, without just, you know, pissing money out the window?
1: Well, it begins with focus. And you uh, you just named off a few different challenges there that look different in the different kinds of companies we work with. So you said if they don't have any marketing budget, if that's the case, we're probably not the right solution for them. Because when we enter a company, an organization, they usually have a six to seven figure marketing activation budget. They have been doing the marketing stuff they're just not at all confident that they're doing it in the right order, in the right volume, at the right pace, with the right partners, with the right staff. Like, mm-hmm. they're just not sure they're doing the right stuff in the right way, right? Super helpful. Yep. 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 So what? how we address those challenges. So let's talk about sales and marketing alignment. So first of all, um, we tend to break some stereotypes as it relates to the role of marketing in entrepreneurial organizations. Many entrepreneurial organizations that we work with that are those small growing businesses want to have or have had traditionally one executive team member, head of sales and marketing, Mm -hmm. 99.9% of the time, that is a sales manager who's been Mm -hmm. promoted to oversee sales and marketing. And when that's the case, you have a visionary CEO, a head of sales in a founder led sales driven (laughs) organization that expect to be working on referral quality deals all day long. And they think that marketing um, should just simply activate whatever ideas they have or be creating leads that look like, you know, qualified opportunities. And so
0: in- <laughs> I'm laughing because so that I, that that totally resonates. Familiar? Yeah, it totally resonates with me. <laughs>
1: okay, so it's broken because marketing, it, when marketing reports to sales management under a visionary selling type leader, marketing is not empowered to say no, and they will be an order taker all day from the shiniest object chasers in the organization. <laughs> And so we start by breaking that dynamic by putting marketing at the executive table because marketing is going to have a long game view for brand building, customer experience, the entire journey, the infiltration of the brand through every stakeholder relationship, yes, and collaboration with sales. And the dichotomy of the sales Urgency right now, close those deals mentality and the marketing long term strategic brand building view is what helps a business grow. So they both need a seat at the executive table. Mm -hmm. We fill it and then we bring those stakeholders together in really productive, high value conversations on a quarterly basis and an annual planning basis to make sure. We all went on record saying yes to the same things. And now we have a documented plan and we can remind ourselves what we said yes to so that if shiny objects come down the pipe, marketing is in a position to say, hey, I hear you. I want to support you. Here's what we agreed to. If we are going to change direction, that means we're going to shift our timeline, our resources or our outcomes. How would you like us to do this? Right. How can we work together? So
0: I love it. So I got to ask, what is your definition of sales versus marketing and how are they different and how do they actually work together?
1: Yeah. Well, in our B2C clients, they really don't have sales teams, right? They are Mm -hmm. all marketing driven. Mm -hmm. So we got to kind of step that over here. A lot of what we're talking about here, the dynamics are B2B, right? Or in a combined organization where they have both. So in B2B, First of all, I am, because I've been in sales and sales management and marketing and marketing management, I feel like I have authority to say this, or I've earned the right to say. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody deserves credit for every win. The most toxic thing you can do in a B2B culture is try to separate out the credit for who got which deal. You know, does marketing get the credit for this sourced revenue and sales for this sourced revenue? That's toxic and dysfunctional because there is no straight line to revenue in a B2B organization. Everything that you and I are doing right now to create content and value to educate people is part of building trust and building awareness, which may lead somebody to somebody's website to fill out a contact form that gets directed over to sales that, you know, like it all works together. And the average B2B deal has what, five to seven stakeholders that all need to be brought through the journey. And the average deal cycle is anywhere from six to 24 months. Marketing is playing a huge role Mm -hmm. in every brand or should be. So all teams should get the credit. The whole ship rises.
0: Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. What, how, what do you, here's how I've just tried to describe it in the past is like marketing. So sales is when there's a human being that's needed. And I don't know if that's just too simple. Like, okay, like. All this brand awareness, and there was a click, and then there was this, and then all of a sudden, we're scheduling a call, and then sales gets on the call, and that, which is su- super different because I grew up in a copier. I mean, it was four copier business, 400 phone calls, 15 app- appointments, seven net news, five closes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like it was, I mean, sales was always starting the relationship, which is not always the most effective way to do it. So I'm curious, like when you have the comprehensive journey and marketing and sales are both playing a role, like, is my statement accurate or is it like, is there more of a gray area in between?
1: Well, it depends. (laughs) Are you and I here today speaking as sales leaders or marketers?
0: Oh, it depends on what line item of the budget we're talking about, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So in most B2B organizations, marketing is playing more of a behind the scenes role, less of direct on the call with the clients. But Marketing often plays a very direct customer role when it comes to hosting high value, high touch events, creating mm-hmm. webinar content that engages those audiences, right? The um, marketing needs people too. And I really preach for having your marketers um, aligned to engage directly with clients, to be the face that helps to capture the customer success story and relay it back, to be the face that's in um, engaged in community building. Not all marketers, you know, sales is a certain kind of persona. Sales mm-hmm. people are high on the woo, winning others over and being face people for the company. Some, marketers are more behind the scenes personalities, but when you can bring marketers into customer conversation, they're going to be better marketers because they're not guessing at what, what customers really need. Right. Mm -hmm. So even when I was no longer in sales and I was only in marketing, I was always actively engaged in client relationships and sharing resources and content with them and, and Arm in arm with my sales comrades, right, In like designing events and experiences that customers they trusted our brand and the marketing team and the sellers. So I don't think it's either or.
0: What what are there like specific KPIs that you think marketing should be kind of measuring and monitoring versus like a sales like set of KPIs? Or is, I mean, how are you measuring and monitoring what's working?
1: Yeah, it looks different in every organization based on where their maturity is at, in their data and predictive analytics and MarTech stack. So I use this really stupid, simple example. You know, if you have two years of clean CRM data in terms of pipeline management and behavior, and you can start to harvest some of that intelligence to do predictive analytics and, and drive down into like, well, if deal velocity is this and stage gating is this and size is this and blah, 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 then we need X amount of SQLs, this amount of marketing qualified leads to get there, right, this much engagement to get the marketing qualified leads. That's wonderful when you get to that point. Most entrepreneurial businesses mm-hmm. that we work with when we step in, they don't have two years worth of clean, well-managed <laughs> data. They're they're far from readiness for predictive analytics, right? Where they're at is like, do you think we could muster up the accountability to produce three case studies this quarter? Yes. Let's put that on our scorecard. Did we do it? Yes. Good. Yeah. High, five. Starting, <laughs> high five. You've started doing the activities That lead to engagement, that lead to data, that becomes um, a baseline that you can start to model Mm -hmm. off of. Okay, so we set KPIs based on the maturity and the stage of the company that we're working with based on what they need to measure to build muscle. I mean, just the best example would be if you start seeing a personal trainer at the gym, your metrics are going to be really different if you've been training all along and now you're training for a triathlon versus if you're just getting off the couch for the first
0: Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. 100%. Totally makes a bunch of sense. And uh, so you and I were talking prior to hitting the record, some of the things that you see that you're doing as well as other brands and companies to get yeah. out of the owner's trap of the owner or even the maybe the sales marketing exec being the the main primary contact. So let's talk about some of the things that you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I want to make sure I'm understanding your the, your question. The community, there. You were talking
0: about the community brand. Sorry. Oh, I community. didn't mean to be yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't mean to be ambiguous about it.
1: No, that's okay. Let me back into that one. So authentic brand, obviously, as a fractional CMO firm, we have to practice what we preach. We have to be good at investing in our own brand building and our own marketing along the way, right? We, We should be our own very best case study. So who are we? We are a B2B professional services firm that serves a now national audience of clients. When I started the company five years ago, Um, My first business plan was intentionally setting us up to be a regional boutique with regional clients for the first three years so that we could really be sure of our go-to-market offering and how we wanted the customer journey to be before we started expanding. So all along, I had a plan to nationally expand in 2021. Well, of course, COVID came along. So (laughs) prior to COVID, we were still really focused regionally with some strategic relationships pulling us into broader markets. And I had this thought about creating a Um, A gathering hosted here at our office in Minneapolis with a couple dozen other executive business leaders. Um, Remember that conversation we had several minutes ago about asking the questions of why do we exist and who Mm -hmm. should care and why should they care about us? And then how do we give them something of value? I'm always asking that to myself. In our world, our buyers are CEOs of entrepreneurial businesses. Many of our buyers happen to run on business operating systems like EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, based on the book Traction, okay? We run on EOS. So I attend, you know, EOS conferences every year, and I'd come back to Minneapolis and think, I really want to get to know the other EOS business leaders in this market, because I think we could learn and grow together in how we're building our businesses. And it would be awesome if they were thinking of us before they ever have a marketing need. So Mm -hmm. what can I give them of value, So I did a little bit of research and thought, you know, if the CEOs are buyer, how do we get them all together? Well, what I learned was CEOs, they don't actually want one more thing to do. They've all got peer groups already, Vistage, EO, whatever it might be, right? But guess who's really influential in the decision for authentic brand services? Not just the CEO, but their operator, their Mm -hmm. integrator, their COO or CFO. And I thought, well, that's a universe that does not have a peer group. We could create that. I could create value for that community. And so I offered to host a meeting for integrators at our office. And we had like 20 people signed up for this last April. And then COVID hit in March. April (laughs) 2020. That's right. So we pushed pause on that live event. And then I thought, well, I'm not just going to sit on this forever. We made it a virtual format. And instead of 20, we had 75 attendees the first month. And then I saw that people were engaging that I hadn't even invited. Like, it was already word of mouth at that point. So I'm a marketer. I leaned in on that and started making sure people knew to invite and engage and started talking about it. Within 18 months, we built a community of over 1,000 integrators across the country and around the globe. And it had nothing to do with pitching our services. It has nothing to do with marketing. It has everything to do with creating a place that is a safe, high-value, high-engagement place executive peer group for an underserved community. And they love it. It's amazing. And we get to be the host. And so our brand is in front of them. And we get to serve them well by offering value every month with these meetings, which are free to all integrators. And in return, they know we exist. And when they have a marketing need, they know that we're here for them. And they trust us because we've already helped them.
0: I I, I think it's so... I think that the community building and content trust building is so important, especially because of how much everybody is exposed to every day, and like everybody has got you know their own stories of being screwed over, reading wrong information, or information from someone that didn't follow through with you know what they had to say, so that trust hurdle gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and so like. This concept of community, Jennifer, is so intriguing to me because you're right. I mean, it's like it's like this this machine that the dividends are trusting relationships that pop out of it. It's so freaking hard to track that. And so like, how do you like it? I've personally struggled the heck to, to so much with this is that how do you know that what you're doing is the right approach when you're building a community or doing that long term play like that? Because- yeah. Yeah, like I, and for me, I know it's the right approach, but how do you prove that yeah. what you're doing is the right approach other than just the gut?
1: Yeah, there's proof points along the way. Okay, so for me, it all started by centering on what's our purpose in the world, who should matter to us, why should we matter to them, how do we build something that gives them value? We started there with a hypothesis, right, tied to our vision and our purpose, Then we started implementing on our hypothesis and started beta testing this program month over month. We committed, right? Like a commitment mindset. Mm -hmm. Like this is not an experiment. It's a commitment. So we put out the dates, right? Month over month. And then inside of that commitment, we're looking for feedback loops, real time. We want to be agile and adaptive. We want to lean into the opportunity and back away from anything that doesn't serve this community. So that happens in a couple ways. I ask all the time, like my inbox is open, my phone's open. I want to hear what's working, what's what's valuable to you. We do a real time survey at the end of every single meeting. And to date, 100% of those surveyed say they're coming back again. That is a powerful indication that we're on the right track and we're doing something right. And we need to lean in more on that. Right. Um, We've brought on supporting partners as sponsors to help offset the costs. And because sponsors see value in connecting their brand to this community, we know there's value, right? Like Mm -hmm. all these proof points along the way. And now we're 18 months in and I can look at my pipeline of opportunities that I'm actively working on right now. And a huge percent of them are connected to this integrator community, not directly in a straight line way where you could look at my database and see the attribution. This is where B2B marketing is complicated. It's the indirect ways where the person reached out to me on LinkedIn through a message because they've been noticing what I'm posting about it, where Mm -hmm. somebody from within the community refers someone else they know who can use our services, where one of our supporting partners refers somebody in, right? It's these threads that tie together that all are held together by trust. Mm -hmm. Trust. Like Mm -hmm. imagine how different if I had said I want to build a database of integrators and I want to market my services to them and I'm going to go out to Zoom Info and LinkedIn and I'm going to scrape data data and I'm going to push the data into my database and I'm going to blast people with a message they didn't ask for, didn't want, brings them no value and is a pitch. Do you Mm -hmm. think I'd have the trust of a thousand people? no way. No, you they get 10.
0: It. There's a it's a complete numbers <laughs> game. Like you said, make your brand suck faster. And it's like, yes. it's, a, well, and it's so interesting because I think that what, you know, that, that following the EOS, cause you know, you and I both talk a lot about that is like, you got the visionary salespeople that normally think in bubbles and charge versus like my old business is built on rows and columns <laughs> with the finance. Yes. But like, for me, <laughs> like I can go like, well, Cause I got like, and I and as I tra- track our customer database, and, and I'm giving my example, so all the listeners listening, I hopefully that you can pull uh, uh, your own experience out of this is my database out of my customers. How did they get into this? Well, yeah. I like actually built like multiple columns in the CRM, saying, okay, well, I know this was the first contact, but then I would I know they were nurtured by the podcast, or so like it's so hard because it's not a linear.
1: Not engagement,
0: like you said. And it's like, well, I know that the reason like, I talked to this guy today, he knows this guy who knows that guy who saw me at the, the, this one thing that was on purpose. Like, so I kind of expected this conversation, but it was random because I didn't expect it today, but it was on purpose that there should be <laughs> relationships being generated out of the activities that I'm doing. So right. like, it's, that it's so difficult. And I think, you know, one, one, that's what makes it so scary. I think Jennifer to people that are going, okay, I know I'm 5 million in revenue. I want to get to 15 get for all the reasons that we know we want to grow a company. And okay. So then I'm going to go from me getting these highly qualified leads to what is it going to cost and how long is this going to take to do this on faith? And it's scary as, as hell.
1: It's super scary. Here's a little bit of kind of practical guidance I would offer. So first of all, The way that I've gauged my marketing investment for authentic brand is not formulaic in the sense of a percent of my current revenue or anything like that. The way that I think about it is where do I want to be two years from now as an organization? I ought to be making a marketing investment at that size because the range and the coverage and the seeds I'm planting today need to be the harvest I reap two years from now because I know my sales cycle. So I'm investing forward. I don't think of marketing as a cost. I think of it as an investment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, So I invest forward so that the returns on that investment are there waiting for me in the future. I invest consistently. During COVID, we did not stop investing in marketing. Um, In fact, we doubled down and and took the the quieter time during the initial pause to rebuild some of our architecture ourselves and enhance some of our strategies. Um, And that's already paying off this year. Um, And then here's the other thing I would say to business owners. You own the business. You're fully in control of your decisions. You just need to have a really strong marketing partner who wants to be your partner in stewarding your resources at the pace that you're comfortable with at the investment level, you're comfortable with that matches where you want to be. And somebody not afraid to challenge you, not a yes person, but a here's another way to look at it person. Okay. So your resources are your resources. They are what they are. Mm -hmm. I have never yet worked for or within a business startup or global enterprise that gave me unlimited budget and unlimited staff and unlimited time to achieve the results, right? Mm -hmm. Your resources are your reality layer. So within those resources, the best thing you can do is work with somebody who brings wisdom to your investment strategy as a, in the marketing mix and then get very, very, very focused. Um, can I tell you a little story about baseball?
0: <laughs> Go for it. I love it.
1: Okay. Okay. So I like to tell this silly analogy to our prospective clients because it tends to resonate with them. With most small businesses who are founder-led and sales-driven – The idea of marketing investment is really scary, especially when a marketing leader will start talking about focusing in on your target audience, focusing in on your strategies, right? Focusing on on the Focus in, focus more narrowly because business owners and salespeople get nervous that focus will mean you have to say no to growth opportunities, no to revenue. They want to chase anything that has dollars attached, right? Smart. Often that's in the early stage of business, that's what you do. You say yes to everything to figure out what you're good at and what you do best and what you love best. But eventually, you've got to get focused and be differentiated to stand out. So think of your organization as a baseball team. Think of your delivery your product or services team, as your outfield. They have a huge range of solutions they could provide to potentially any potential buyer, right? Lots of range. Think of your sales team as your infielders. Like they're a little bit more narrow in what they're chasing, but they still have some some range to customize to what the client solution needs to be or to land and then expand outwardly and draw upon your delivery organization. But think of your marketing organization as your pitcher, your best marketing program has the smallest strike zone, very tight strike zone, because when you aim your limited resources to a very limited window, you're going to put all your energy between the highest, best, healthiest, most profitable deals that you could pursue. Instead of scatter spraying your limited resources across a wide range and diluting the impact and potentially drawing in low value, pain in the butt clients, You know, non-profitable engagements, things that take your delivery team off into the Amazon. You know, It's just like your marketing team has to be incredibly focused and your resources should be really focused. So one of the most important things we do as fractional CMOs is help our clients learn to say no and not yet to a lot of good ideas so that they can say yes to a few very powerful ideas most likely to drive healthy growth.
0: So that was an amazing analogy and that landed on me who is not a big sports guy. So like (laughs) that, that (laughs) proved, yeah, I'm like, I'll tell you what, it worked. No, that was, that's awesome. And, and I think it's, uh, I want to pull back to Jennifer. I, I, there's so many good things that you've been saying about the two years inv- investing from two years out. And what was super interesting is it's an investment, not a cost center. And like, and, and honestly, this is like what we try to help people with too, because it's all about how you view it on the, on the financials. So like on your income statement, you're saying like, how, where is this getting categorized? Cause it's going to lend like how you, uh, how you actually act on it because of where it's placed on your income statement. And there was a book I read a few years ago now. Have you ever read uh, Killing Marketing? Is it Joe Pelosi?
1: <laughs> no, but I love Joe.
0: <laughs> oh, so, okay. I like that. That like It's a whole long book, but I took one thing away from it. Marketing is not a cost. It's an investment. And he literally says, kill it as a cost center. Create it. And he has all these examples, Jennifer, that like just hit me like a ton of bricks. Was If you build a content brand that people would pay for, It's going to generate all the other stuff. And he gives examples of like Legos. They now have movies. They have events and all this stuff. And oh, by the way, we sell plastic shit. And (laughs) then summarizing it, but like, and then he like Lifetime Lifetime Fitness, they talked about like the experience magazine was garbage. And then they actually made it a profit center because it was a free magazine. Everybody knew it was free, but then they created this profit center. That essentially at just at break even was going to generate the trust and for people to go to the profit making machine, and I was just like, huh. huh. But again, yeah. this what is what has been the the difficult part is to do what you're saying, which is to do it with focus and not be scared to death that you're going to piss away a bunch of money. That's right, and be wrong.
1: No, that's right, and especially right now, Ryan. And I know we're getting close to the top of our hour, but I want to throw this current reality in. We're living in a weird, wild marketplace right now. Right. The the ripple effects of covid are still showing up in really unpredictable ways, making the market really hard to feel confident about for business owners. And here's why. Like the economy seems pretty strong and interest and appetite are high, like there's money to be spent. But for companies who are service companies and product companies. Our resources are locked up. The talent market is incredibly challenging and competitive Mm -hmm. right now and and mobile. And the resources market, there's a lot of things stuck on ships across the Pacific right now. So supply chain demand problems are real. And I've never heard more business owners say, hey, the growth is there for the taking, but we don't have the delivery ability right now. Mm -hmm. Our resources are all locked up. So we're reducing our growth expectation by 30% this year, right? And how angsty does that make you as a business owner? It's like, oh yeah, really
0: angsty.
1: Nah. <laughs> so a knee-jerk reaction on these for these businesses has been we're gonna pause marketing, we're gonna draw back on marketing, we're gonna stop hiring in marketing because we don't need more demand. We need more resources to deliver on the demand we have. Okay. That's a danger zone in terms of your marketing thinking. You need to embrace a mindset shift, not a marketing investment shift. So it's true, you don't need to be driving a lot of demand, but you need to be building your brand because we are going to come through this hairy time in the volatile market. The dust will settle, the demand will be there for the taking for the brands that didn't stop investing in building trust creating positive experience, sharing the value of wisdom and thought leadership, creating meaningful human connections, they're going to meet the market at the other side of this turbulence and be ready to capitalize on it when the resources start flowing again.
0: Amen. I mean, mic drop on that comment. It, the question that I would have to follow up that is, what are the ways people are doing what you just said?
1: How are they shifting their mindsets?
0: Well, uh, the like the building the trust. So is it like, yeah. is it, Webinars, or is it is it these communities? Is it events? Is yeah. it write more content? Yep. You know, get a yep. video. I mean, everybody's podcasting these days. So, like again, like people, what you said, I think any logical person is going to go, of course. But then it's like, how? how? Yeah, and like, how are you? Like, what are the ways that are actually effective to grow trust as you're doing and build your brand, which is all yeah. encompassing.
1: Well, this is going to sound trite, perhaps, but I have to start all the way back at where we began, which is, what's your purpose? Who matters or should matter to you? Why should you matter to them? And how do you intersect their world? Therein lies the answer as to what the tactic should be. Too many people are starting with, well, but then what should I do? No, it's why <laughs> am I doing what I'm doing? For whom am I doing it? And where do they live in the world? And what matters to them? Okay, stop asking what should you do? Ask yourself, what do, what do my people need from me? Right? Mm-hmm. And then it. design the packaging around it. It might look like direct mail to five people with something really surprising and delighting that they get to open at their home <laughs> office. That and, might be what it looks like.
0: Isn't that the truth? It's uh, isn't that the truth? And I think about like how ridiculous that, uh, like, the, now that you put it that way, like, what I've been asking you, like, when someone comes and is like, "How much should we take in distributions?" I'm like, I have so many questions. Like, or should I, <laughs> should I sell or should I not? I'm like, oh my goodness, like, how where are we gonna start? Because what do you want and why?
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Yes,
0: this has been this has been so much fun. Um, so a couple follow up questions as we're getting uh, close here is one is I love to know what people mean by intentional, what their definition of it is because the name of the show. What is your definition of the word intentional?
1: Mm. Well, I didn't know you'd ask me this, so I'm going to shoot from the hip here. When I think of the word intentional, I also think of when you do things with a sense of purpose toward a specific outcome, right? So for me, I was asked a couple of years ago, what does success mean to you? And I think it's kind of the same answer, which is living a life without regrets. You know, when you do things with intentionality, you're, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from those mistakes. But you've been intentional with where you've directed your time, your talents, your, your funding, your vision. Um, so any of the bumps that come along the way are just part of teaching you how to achieve that. Right.
0: Ooh, I like that one. That was going to be one for the archives. <laughs> uh, the last question is where do the listeners find more about you, authentic brand and random action marketing and all the content you're putting out there?
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm very accessible on LinkedIn and I would love to connect personally with anybody who's hearing the sound of my voice on this podcast. So just look for Jennifer Zick. I'll be there um, and happy to connect. And then uh, my company can be found at AuthenticBrand.com. That's not plural. It's all one word, AuthenticBrand.com, where we have a resource center on our library full of great blog content, videos. I like to produce a lot of short video thought nuggets, I call them, and I throw those up online now and then. Um, And... uh, on-demand webinars, and other resources. So I, I hope you'll check it out. That's where you can start to dig in on um, random acts of marketing and, and what it looks like to overcome those.
0: Jennifer, thank you for coming on this show. And uh, this has been an absolute blast.
1: It's been so much fun, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me as your guest today.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview. I had a blast because I have so many personal you know, just struggles and pain in this marketing space. As I have been trying to grow Arcona and then also, like, with our clients, everybody struggles with this. And I think whether you're set up to actually be at the right time and place to hire a fractional CMO, it's something that I think is a, a new opportunity to engage in that is different than the other options that are out there. Or if you don't have the ability because you're not at the right time or place or size for the fractional CMO basis, the strategies that Jennifer was talking about still apply by understanding where your customers are at. Identifying the strategies that are going to reach them and build the trust and the brand that you have at the right time for those prospects and clients is crucial. And then making sure that you're not just trying to be everywhere to everyone. And by aligning your marketing tactics to the ultimate strategy to reach your customers that grow enterprise value I think it was just a refreshing interview that was that sh- that shows and proves that people are out there talking the right things. It just takes time and effort to find them. If you want to know more about how sales and marketing integrate into growing the value of your company, with the end in mind, go check out the Intentional Growth Online Training at Arcona.io. In Principle Four, we talk about how the increasing value section in principle applies to sales and marketing and why tying sales and marketing and finance together is going to actually yield a more valuable business once you're implementing the right strategies. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.